Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Today, uh, we're... You probably noticed last week, if you were here, um, that our, the series kind of shifts. This prophecy in Joel uh, that Peter reads on the day of Pentecost um, kind of is this list describing the Holy Spirit. And we've used this uh, to kind of uh, just explore what what and who Holy Spirit uh, is in our midst and in our world and in what the people in God's, the world God loves are facing. And so you have, uh, in those days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So then the question is, what happens when God pours out God's Spirit? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, or your children shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And here I see, and you've heard me say this, but I just love this text so much, and every sermon is just still a part of the same text, but the idea that um, the Spirit, God, God empties himself completely on the cross and pours out God's Spirit on all flesh, and so that we can then encounter God's Spirit in those who are yet to come, and we can encounter the words of God's Spirit from those who've gone before. Children and, and old men and young men, there's visions and dreams and prophecy, even upon my slaves, both men and women, even people who are on the margins, who've been relegated there by us, or folks who look like us, or folks who vote like us, even from that place uh, where we would rather not visit, God's voice speaks. And then in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven or the sky above and signs on the earth or the land below, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. So it's a bit tricky because at this point, you know, it's so lovely, this idea that God is pursuing us and God wants to pour out God's spirit on us so that we could prophesy and hear prophecy and we could see visions and, and, and hear about visions. And there's kind of this sense that God is pursuing us and God loves us. And this is the spirit of Jesus. And then here it gets into this weird apocalyptic language. And people respond strangely to this like, okay, signs and wonders, that feels good still because it sounds like visions and prophecy. But then you have blood and fire and pillars of smoke and the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And then you have this great and glorious or terrible, depending on the translation, day of the Lord. Um, and so I think if we, if we didn't study this and we didn't study kind of what is going on in Joel or what's going on in the world when the day of Pentecost happened, it could kind of be like, oh, it sounded nice, and then it got dark and scary, and then walk away. But it's important to hold it all together, and then hopefully important to realize that this text is our mother. And what I mean is that this text that Peter stood up and quoted on the day of Pentecost birthed the church. The book of Acts is rooted firmly in this, the story of the early church, the letters written by the early church and, and, and revered by the early church are shaped by this encounter with this spirit. And so naturally, whatever uh, we see in this text, we'll probably find themes of elsewhere in the book of Acts or the New Testament. And so today, um, last week, we talked about signs and wonders in the sky and the land and the idea of looking to nature as if anything you could see with your eyes isn't nature. Look to the material world or the ordered world, and by ordered I mean the forest and the sea and the biodiversity and the order that God has designed, not the order that we find in like sanitary labs, you know, the order of God. 
we can, we can encounter God when we pay attention to the land and creation. But then to date, that's kind of second part where we have blood and fire and pillars of smoke. That's where the language starts to sound very apocalyptic and revelation-y and almost like rapture-y and all the things. And I know Awaken. I love you. I know you so well. And I'm like, this is not the part that usually gets us fired up. But hopefully it might a little bit today. So... This text, naturally, um, if you don't know this, and I did say it last week, so I won't belabor the point a lot, but whenever we have the phrase signs and wonders, it kind of in heaven, above, and earth below, we immediately recall the Exodus event where God summoned Moses to bring these plagues with his serpent stick. Bring these plagues, so wonders in the, uh, of natural disaster and climate events, and finally these climate events and these natural disasters uh, or supernatural disasters would get Pharaoh's attention to the fact that the system's not working. And then if Pharaoh's like, oh, I'm going to change the system, that would be great. But if he's not, then the song Miriam sings at the end of the story is horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So the plagues are scary for some and very hopeful for others. And so the plagues show us that God is God of land and sky. God is an incarnate God of the land. We remember in Isaiah 6, in the temple, the Spirit is filling this place, and the seraphim are crying out, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, all the land, is filled with my glory, or filled with God's glory. And if you've read the Old Testament and you remember the stories, you know that trees and rocks and rivers and animals all serve God. Remember the book of Jonah? The wind and the waves and the whale and the worm. It rhymes. I know. It was Baptist, but it's not whale's fish. Uh, all conspire together to get Jonah, not to where Jonah's going to actually do anything, where Jonah can just build a hut and sit and watch God do something. And uh, the something is salvation and compassion. And it's this profound story. We think of the day of Pentecost as when God's spirit comes rushing like a wind and there's tongues of fire. We think of Moses in the burning bush saying, Moses, Moses. We think of Jesus saying, consider the ravens and the lilies. Consider the mustard seed, consider the land, and imagine that God is speaking and drawing us in. I'm reminded when I study this idea that God's spirit all throughout the story is saying, notice the land. I'm reminded of some of my, my favorite memories growing up hunting, and as much as I would love to just settle in and take the next 10 minutes to tell you hunting stories, I will not. That's why we have fire pits on Wednesdays, you guys. Hunting stories, mountain rescue stories, grizzly bear encounters, you know, and all the other stuff. So the only thing I wanted to say is I grew up hunting and I feel very blessed uh, to be able to say that. And I, I went hunting with my dad every Saturday in hunting season from like four years old uh, until I was like, I don't know, two or three years ago when life just became a little too chaotic. But I, I never witnessed them ever get an animal until I was 14, which means for 10 years straight, I ruined the hunt. <laughs> But, I mean, you're a loud, smelly kid. Uh, but it, does, it doesn't matter. That never ruined my dad's love of hunting. He was there to be nourished by the land and the silence and the waiting and the feeling wild. Um, and I remember so clearly just I'd be following in my dad's footsteps, just kind of imagining and thinking whatever, like just a little kid. And every once in a while, and it was the most exciting thing in the world, my dad would just stop dead in his tracks and he would just speak with symbols because I'd look up like, because you don't know if there's like a big moose or something right there and you've got to be quiet. And he would kind of stop and then be like, and it was just that point and a smile. And you could tell that he was in the forest. He had gotten as quiet as he could. And he was listening as hard as he could. And he's watching as hard as he can. And suddenly he hears a stick break or he hears a foot, he hears something. And without even saying a word, I'm watching him. And he's like, this way. 
And for me, I feel like as a Bible scholar, as an aspiring Bible scholar, that's what I'm doing. I'm in the woods, and I'm connecting to the land, and sometimes you don't get a loud, like, God is this way. You just get, the quieter you are, that crack of the stick, and you know it's over here. And I think those memories I have of hunting and just trying to listen reminds me of what the text is calling out, to pay attention, to notice the ravens and the lilies and the wind and the fish and the, the worm and the plant and the trees and the stick that becomes a snake. It's to pay attention and to notice that God is speaking, that God is drawing us in. And so what I'm going to do, um, this is going to be very simple. The prophecy that Peter proclaims here is from the book of uh, Joel in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. But I want to read to you what the passages before uh, this text say to give you a bit of a background. And I'm going to go all the way to the beginning of chapter 2, uh, well, in verse 10. Um, and it sounds really scary. And suddenly this blood and fire and smoke language will make sense because Joel 2 to 10, uh, sorry, Joel 2, 10 to 17, is describing a horrible war, a major crisis. And the people being invaded or the people being affected by the war uh, are kind of describing this scene where there's no hope at all. And they're describing it with very poetic language. And, and it says um, in verse 10 to 17, the earthquakes before them being the army. The skies tremble and the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host. Numberless are those who obey his command. Truly the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure it? And they're sort of wrestling with this like, there's no hope, it's just terrible and all-consuming. Yet even now, the text says, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent even now, and leave a blessing behind him. A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elderly, because they're going to dream dreams and have visions in a minute, and, and uh, uh, gather the children, even the infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, even let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep. So I'm like, oh, this isn't a text for pastors to say, repent. It's a text sometimes for the entire religious establishment to fall and repent. Every one of us, let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Then this prayer feels uh, dis uh, uncomfortable, unsettling, because this idea of like God's going to hurt you really bad unless you repent, and uh, that theology has been weaponized against people and used to cause a lot of harm. And so when we read this, I have to remember at all times that this prayer, this oracle, as as we can call it, is drawn from the lips of desperate and terrified people. And and when we hear the response of God or we hear the heart of God um, listening to these prayers, we can't help but hear God's word to Moses in Exodus 3. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. 
And there's this sense that the people do not know how to process this collective trauma. Either God is punishing us or there's no God. Pick one. I pick God's punishing us. That's the only one. And this is the people working that out as the, these are the only options. Maybe if we repent, maybe if we're more righteous, maybe if we kick more people out of our community, maybe, maybe, and this sense of like the other side of the question is like, but who knows? And I think you got to read the whole thing because then you get God's response. In the next few verses, the next chunk is the last bit before we get to this. It says, then the Lord became jealous for his land. Like, I will not let this army. Wait a minute. (laughs) The Lord became jealous for his land, and he had pity on his people. And in response to his people, the Lord said, I am sending you grain and wine and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a mockery among the nations. I will remove the northern army far and drive it into a parched and desolate land, its front into the eastern sea, its rear into the western sea, its stench and foul smell, we're in the apocalyptic language now, will rise up. Surely he has done great things. Do not fear, O soil. Looking at you, Dina. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field. I'm looking at Kathy. (laughs) For the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the late rain, as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow with wine and oil. And I will repay you, says the Lord, for the years that the swarming locust has eaten away. The years the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter and my great army which I sent against you has cut away. Because I will repay you. Like everyone's repenting in this text. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people will never again be put to shame. And you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. And you will know that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people will never again be put to shame. And in that day is the next part. I'd say Peter made a great choice to look out at these people, uh, uh, occupied Palestine, Jewish people whose leader was just crucified by the state. Of course, this text in Joel is the most obvious one to make sense of what's happening. So we see that in Joel, there's a war. There's some kind of political, social, economic uh, force that is destroying the lives of real people through wars and social upheaval, forced displacement, low wages, chronic debt, intergenerational trauma. This is a lot of social collective trauma being uh, described uh, in in the background of the book of Joel. And from the place of desperation, people are crying out. They are blaming themselves. They are wrestling with why this disaster has befallen them and why it seems to only get worse. And there doesn't seem to be an imagination What could God possibly do? How could God? Imagine being an enslaved Hebrew. Obviously, none of us can imagine that. Like, what can God do? Dismantle the Egyptian empire? 
There's no hope. Like, there's just this, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know. Who knows? Like, they're kind of wrestling through this in a way I think that would make sense to us. And it does make sense to people in the world that uh, could maybe stand up here instead of me. It seems, though, that uh, we need to be reminded of the book of Exodus. This is all reference to the Exodus, whether it's the day of Pentecost or even the text in Joel when he talks about the great locusts. I hope you were like, oh, that sounds like Exodus language. And when we start to remember the Exodus, we think the people in this, in the background of this text must have felt like the enslaved Hebrews who were being enslaved to cruel political forces. Uh, they were lower class people who had no choice and no hope and there was nothing they could do to change any of it. It turns out when you're too busy laboring to survive, that there's no chance to rest and reflect and cultivate new ideas and philosophies that could lead to change. You don't have time. It's just go, go, go. You're trying to survive. It's a closed system and it feels hopeless. But then suddenly a burning bush, which most educated, respectable people would not stop and notice, calls to Moses. He calls to Moses and sends Moses with his serpent stick to turn the Nile River into blood, to summon frogs and flies and locusts and hail and darkness and death. These disasters and climate events will force the Pharaoh to take notice of the ways the system over which he reigns supreme is not working or must be stopped. And eventually, the story ends with the Red Sea being parted and the army that pursues the Hebrews is on uh, uh, is drowned in the sea and Miriam leads in song, horse and rider, he's thrown into the sea. And when we remember the Exodus and we remember what the people of God were going through during the time uh, Judah was written, which is likely uh, Babylonian or Assyrian exile, we remember that God's spirit disrupts systems. God's spirit does disrupt systems. It's not just a personal, private power to whisper, I love you and it'll make sense eventually. This is an also a big system. Uh, or sorry, a big spirit that disrupts systems. God summons Moses, sends Moses to speak from, to Pharaoh, to draw Pharaoh's attention to the land. But Pharaoh is unable to see it. Though he has eyes, he cannot see. Though he has a heart, it is made of stone. Rivers and lakes and farms and weather systems mean nothing to him. And he runs with his army and his entire military complex headlong to his own watery death. And then Moses and the Hebrews, remember, live happily ever after. Now, change is really hard for all of us. Change is really hard for everyone. No one gets to just go back to work the next day, but they're getting paid triple wages. It doesn't just immediately get better for some and immediately get really bad for everyone. It's hard. It's changed. The Holy Spirit's going to upheave the entire thing. And a lot of us will be tempted at times to say, I want to go back to when I was tired all the time, but at least I knew what to expect. Like when Twitter was called Twitter. And <laughs> I'm joking. That was for Glendon. <laughs> I know it's bad, but I just don't want any more change. But we remember that uh, Moses and the Hebrews wander in the Sinai Peninsula without food and water, and they remain there for an entire generation to unlearn the ways of Pharaoh's economy, because that's the only thing they've ever known. And if they just have that, and then they're released to freedom, they're going to establish the same economy and just make sure they're on top, which that's what Solomon does. You have to, moving on. They need to unlearn, and it's here in the wilderness that they meet the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 13, and um, we sang about this, it was so beautiful today, um, in Exodus, or I think the call to prayer at the beginning, the Exodus 13 story tells us that um, 
the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, wind and fire, the pillar of God, the glory of God. We know um, this pillar of God or, or this ling- language of the fire of God is present at all sorts of times when God's people encounter God. And of course, on the day of Pentecost, when the tongues of flames rested on the head of the disciples, they were recalling this glory of God that led them through the wilderness as they unlearned Pharaoh's way to become the people of the new thing. We know that the Holy Spirit is also described in the Old Testament using language of wind and breath and spirit. They mean the same thing. The same Hebrew word is breath, wind, spirit. So we can even see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, the breath of God or the wind of God. We can see the strong east wind blowing all night on the Red Sea until there's a dry pathway down the center. The disciples hear a mighty wind rush into the upper room, and they understand this is the Holy Spirit the holy wind, the holy breath. And so um, lastly, uh, before, I want to do one thing, and then I'm going to read the poem that we read on Pentecost about when the Holy Spirit comes. I I think um, I love to be in the poetry and the scriptures and show how everything's connected, but I know that a, a good pastor would be like, and here's what you should do about that. I'm not often good at that, but and, and I'm actually not even going to be good at that now. I'm just going to do it to another Bible story, and then hopefully we all discern it together. This idea of uh, the Holy Spirit disrupting systems uh, happens in so many poetic ways in the Bible, but we often miss it. And so I was just going to highlight a little one, um, and I think you'll kind of notice the connection back to the Exodus. Like when I say you can pretty much read the Exodus story in almost every chunk of the Bible, I'm not exaggerating. There's always these allusions back to it because that's the event where God gave his name, where God introduced himself. He's like, remember, remember. Remember me? I came to you and I was like, I heard your cries. And then I threw uh, Pharaoh and his army into the sea. Remember, like that's always kind of God's introduction into the scene. And so um, in Mark chapter 5, you have the story of the Gerasene demoniac. I'm not going to read it all or kind of unpack every detail. I think um, most of us are familiar with the story where uh, Jesus uh, kind of, his boat lands. And uh, there's a man who's oppressed demonically so much so that he's been exiled and lonely and isolated in a graveyard. And everyone's afraid of him and avoids him. And he's afraid of him. And he's trying to avoid him. And he's, um, he, he's stuck there howling and screaming and harming himself. So this is a very, very traumatized person. Um, and Jesus sees him and meets him. And he cries out, you know, I know who you are. And then in, in silencing the demon, Jesus asks uh, the demon what his name is. And then the demon says, we are legion. And many millions of dollars have been made in the box office with Hollywood writers who riffed on that and made freaky horror movies that then sadly young people go to and think is Christian theology. And I'm in the theater like watching the trailer, not the film. And I'm like, I cannot believe a generation of people think this theology. That's, that's just a movie. Okay. But anyway, we are legion. The man says, and then uh, the legion of demons uh, asks if uh, Jesus would like have mercy on them, which is weird. And then Jesus uh, sends the demons into a herd of pigs. Then the pigs drown themselves in the sea. And we're just like, wow, that's a really wild story of a demon exorcism, a scary group of demons that's and uh, disrupting the pig economy. Like, I don't know. You could kind of just be like, and then he disrupt the pig economy. But that's okay because we hate pigs and then move on. But that's not it. I'm sure that's been preached. We all know it has been, but that, that's not it. Um, it turns out, more likely, uh, there, there's a bunch of things going on there, but did you know that uh, in that region, uh, kind of in the north from Jerusalem, nor- north of Galilee even, um, Roman soldiers, like Romans who signed up to join the military, were paid with a parcel of land from that area. 
So these are farmers who lived on the land, like ancestral land uh, rights, and then a soldier of the Roman occupation comes in and says, it's my land now. Uh, Caesar gave it to me. These five acres are mine, and this house is mine, and these trees are mine, but I don't want to do any of the labor because I'm a soldier. So because you're hungry and you need to eat, I'll hire you to be my employee. And that's a lot of these people. They are being occupied. Their land's been stolen, and it's kind of run by a military. Well, the Roman word for a, a big group of soldiers is legion. We are legion. Everyone's like, oh, we know what that word means. It's the Romans who've stolen everything. And the symbol that was on the shield of the legion or a Roman uh, soldier is a boar, a pig. And so there's this underlying idea of like, yes, it's a demon-possessed person and Jesus is going to have authority over the demons, but the who actually possesses the land, the Roman army, the Roman military is the demon that possesses our land in this kind of glimpse of we are legion, and then the legion go into the pigs, and then we hear Miriam's voice ripple through the pages of our Bible, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. They are drowned in the waters. We will see Jesus is our Moses character. And so we have this hope that another exodus is coming, that the, the, the plagues will come and we will get Pharaoh's attention and the army will be no more. And our children, whose futures we fear for, will tell us the future is beautiful. And our old men who are living in fear, uh, they will begin to have dreams and visions of a future they won't live to see. And there will be hope and hope and hope. And it is in that context that uh, after this kind of war and repentance and God having compassion theme in, in Joel 2, where this text just bursts out of Peter's mouth. And he says, on those days, I won't read the whole thing, but you have this sense that the Spirit's going to come and speak to us and give us hope. And the Spirit's going to disrupt the system. It's not just a personal thing. I was at the powwow yesterday at Sutana, and I was really struck for the first time ever because it's very, very loud and very chaotic. And if you have any sensory uh, difficulties, it can be a very overwhelming space. I found that out when I snapped at my family once we got home. I was like, oh, I'm just overwhelmed, guys. And now you are too. Welcome. It's great. <laughs> so, um, but at the beginning of the powwow, uh, there was like a time of prayer and the chief and council came all brought forward and then they had all these little children come forward and then the prayer was just like, we pray that our children would remember our languages and our children would remember our ways and our children would remember. And then it was like, and we pray that creator would bring down, like then, then the prayer kind of switched into that like, we want the horse and rider to be thrown into the sea. We want our children to have their land back. When it was like this hope of an individual sense of dignity, which I think the first half of this offers, and then this hope that a whole system would change. And so, my friends, I think um, it's important that we remember the Holy Spirit is in our midst, that the Spirit of Jesus is alive and loves us and is revealing us always the love of God for us, always. Uh, and the Spirit, however, isn't just coming to give us a personal authority or a personal access to success. I do not use sports metaphors lightly, but the spirit does not come as a private golf caddy to follow us around and recommend the best club for us to shoot our best shot. Do you shoot shots in golf? I don't know, but the caddy metaphor works. A lot of us think the Holy Spirit is a caddy, that God just follows us around and is like, you can do it, apply for that job. Yeah, you got this, yay, and then just stands back and cheers when everyone sees your success. I'm like, that's not the Holy Spirit. He's not a caddy. Um, 
The Holy Spirit confronts the system, the powers and the principalities on behalf of the invisible, and the Spirit draws the people towards one another to a new humanity, to create, to birth a new humanity and a new system where there is no longer slavery or war or systems that divide us or scare us or convince us that some are more worthy than others. And so I know, before I read this poem and then invite us to the communion table, I know that um, the world feels really scary on some days when you wake up and read the news. And I know that there are many people in the world who feel that more strongly than I do. And yet, I mean, and I feel this text calling us to pay attention to the land and the sky, to the sun and the moon, to notice the wind and the fire, and to at all times not give up hope that the spirit of the loving God is with us and is absolutely able to do something radically new that will unsettle and disrupt all of us. And so I pray that we would be prepared with joy for the new thing. And so you can flip to the poem. Celine Chuang wrote this, um, and she was connected uh, to a bunch of us uh, for a while, and she edited this to fit Awaken and Bonus. So it's called Poem for Pentecost, When the Spirit Comes. When the Spirit comes, she comes swift and surprising. She comes jubilant, brass band at a potluck joyful. She comes laughing loudly in public and unashamed. She walks bonus road like a busker queen, like an overflowing garden, a folk fest dream, for winter will not have the last word in May on the day when the spirit comes. When the spirit comes, she comes in power. At her heels, holy Chinook breath, forest lawn flourishes, the homeless made home full, made at her heels, sidewalks flower and parking lots blossom. Deerfoot trail empty, block parties bustle as she dances an arc of rainbows, a party of pride, wounding turned welcome. As she sings, women no longer missing, found, residential school survivors wrapped in song and sound, the highway of tears turned feasting ground, for all will eat together, reconciled in the days when the spirit comes. When the spirit comes, she tumbles from each tongue like water, Cantonese, Punjabi, and Tagalog too. She travels on the wings of kitchen smells. Her hands bless with spices, her ankles ring with bells. At her heels, mosque goers are made safe. At her heels, women walk home unafraid. For the Lord says, I will show my wonders of a city for all people, for the poor and the elders unerased. For the drum beats strong and thick smudge of grace, for all will have their right to place in the days when the spirit comes. When the spirit comes, she comes unstoppable. She comes dirt on her fingernails and unbrushed hair. She comes with the scent of earth on her skin. At her heels, backyard gardens leap into life. At her hands, honeybees once dead take flight. For the earth and all that is in it, singing the blues, the spirit brings gospel choir good news, the hope of a groaning world renewed. For the mountains will have peace and the Saskatoon bushes abound. The Bow River burst green life along banks long brown. The forests dance for their creator crowned in the days when the spirit comes.
this, there's hope in this passage that the Spirit is with us and with us. And so I hope that the communion table, um, when we come up here, uh, we encounter God for us and for us. The idea that God says, this is my body, take and eat. Um, and the idea that then uh, we could say to each other, become what you are. We are the body of Christ uh, given for the world that God loves. And so may we not only eat the bread and be nourished and filled and healed and shaped to dream new dreams, but may, may we become the bread for a hurting world that longs to dream new dreams. And this is the liturgy. This is the performance, the script, uh, when we come and take communion as we see that God is for us and for us. So if you're new, and I'm not sure there's uh, new people here, but maybe you need a reminder. We serve each other, so I'll be up here, and I don't know, maybe if Bernardino would stand up here. Um, when you come down, whoever serves you will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and then this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. You dip your bread, take a moment, and then you become the person who feeds. So you, you receive and you give. It's beautiful. Um, and at the end, we'll, we'll say a benediction. Uh, but allow me to just say a prayer, and then when you're ready, you can come up. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge uh, the shadows growing darker, and yet we acknowledge uh, that the light is coming and the darkness cannot stop it. And so I pray that you would meet us in the places of doubt, in the places of fear, meet us in the parts of us that are too busy trying to survive to stop and dream. And in the meeting, I pray that we would become something new, that we would become radically for each other, even when we don't agree with each other, that we would be radically for each other, even when we feel uh, afraid to be seen and afraid to have needs. As you draw us near to one another and to, to your spirit and your body here at this table, I pray that you would give us uh, a vision for what this neighborhood and this city and this world will be when the spirit comes and then remind us that she's already here. So help us to hear the music. Fill our bellies, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>